podcast in my series dealing with common questions and controversies of Christianity. In today's lesson, I'm going to be addressing the topic of Roman Catholicism. You know, in today's politically correct environment, really few are standing firm against the onslaught of doctrinal error. And as shocking as that may seem, it really shouldn't be surprising to us. As we come closer to our Lord's return, the professing church is going to increasingly become a Second Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5 describes. Verse 5 gives us an incredible insight into the modern-day church. Paul warns us that there's going to be a form of godliness, but denying its power. So simply put, that means that religion will increase and capture the hearts of many unsuspecting victims. This scriptural warning is not simply for a particular brand of denomination, but includes the entire professing church. And although Reformation is needed across all the evangelicalism, including many Protestant denominations, this podcast focuses on the doctrinal departure of the Roman Catholic Church. Now, there are a number of questions that need to be asked. For example, is the Roman Catholic Church the true church, as it claims to be? Can it be considered another denomination? And do its core doctrines agree with Scripture? While there are a whole lot of subjects that we could carefully study, two rise to the level of most importance, namely the Roman Catholic Church's rejection of sola scriptura, which is scripture alone, and the doctrine of justification. Because the Roman Catholic Church has refused to submit itself to the authority of God's word, it separated itself from the historic orthodox fundamentals of the faith. The great reformer Martin Luther commented on the importance of Scripture when he says, quote, What is asserted without the Scriptures or proven revelation may be held as opinion, but need not be believed. End quote. Catholicism flatly denies 2 Peter 1.3, which says that the Scripture is totally sufficient for life and godliness. Sadly, Catholics add numerous traditions and church teachings that are outside the authority and inspiration of God's Word. In fact, they go as, as far to say that those who deny their own teachings are in danger of eternal damnation. So then, the question is, is there any divine authority outside the Bible? Well, Catholics would say that there is. They believe that the Word of God includes not only the Bible, but other extra-biblical sources. They hold to the authority of the Apocrypha. The Apocrypha is a collection of books written in four centuries between the Old and the New Testaments. They also teach that when the Pope speaks ex cathedra on issues of faith and morals, he speaks with perfect infallibility. And finally, they have a body of church tradition that often contradicts Scripture, but they believe that their traditions carry more weight than the Bible. In Mark chapter 7, verse 8, Jesus rebuked the Pharisees for placing tradition over Scripture. And in Matthew 15, 6, he warned that tradition can lead people astray. Paul also warned against an unwarranted emphasis on tradition in Colossians 2.8. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, he warned the Corinthians not to exceed what is written. These extra-biblical sources are opposed to what the Scriptures tell us. Now, biblical Protestants believe that Scripture is the ultimate voice of God, whereas the Roman Catholics believe that they themselves have the authority to determine what is true and what is not. The implication, then, is that the Roman Catholic Church is a higher authority than the completed Bible. One Catholic scholar put it this way, If we would only believe what the Scripture teaches, we will not believe sola scriptura, that is, Scripture alone, for Scripture does not teach sola scriptura. The Greek word is theopneustos, 
which means God breathed. The Greek form of that word indicates that the Bible is the result of God's breath. Because Scripture is breathed out by God, it originates from Him. It is true, it is inerrant, and it's complete. The Old Testament Psalms, such as Psalm 119.89, chapter 16, and chapter 152, all claim that the Word of God is eternal. Scripture gives testimony after testimony that God's Word will never pass away. Jesus himself accepted the Bible's inspiration in Matthew 4.4 when he claimed that man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. He also used historical events in the Old Testament to prove his total confidence in the fidelity of Scripture. For example, he verified the events of the flood in Matthew chapter 24, verses 38 and 39, and in Luke 17, verses 26 through 27. He also validated the destruction of Sodom in Matthew chapter 10, verse 15. The same is true with Jonah and the fish in Matthew chapter 12, verse 40. Peter claimed that the Bible alone is sufficient for all life and godliness in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Even though sola scriptura is not explicitly stated in Scripture, it definitely is declared from Genesis to Revelation. The Lord Jesus used Scripture as his final court of appeal in John chapter 10, verses 35, when he affirmed that Scripture cannot be broken. To Satan, he consistently responded, it is written. Jesus continuously affirmed the Bible's divine inspiration and its final authority, its infallibility, its scientific accuracy, and its inerrancy. So the major difference then between Catholics and Protestants is that Protestants believe that the Bible is the sole authority and Catholics don't. There's another significant difference. Catholics believe that Christ bestowed authority to the Catholic Church through what they call apostolic succession. Now, apostolic succession is a belief that the Apostle Peter was the first pope. Then he passed on his authority to successors, who then passed on apostolic authority to their successors. And that passing on of the supreme authority has continued down through the centuries to today. But here's the concern. Nowhere in Scripture did Jesus or the apostles or any other New Testament writer ever set forth the idea of apostolic succession. Further, neither is Peter presented as supreme over the other apostles. And what's especially important is that he never claimed himself to have superior authority over others. So what we see from the Bible is that Scripture is our only authority, and no additional traditions or teachings have that kind of authority that the Bible does. And we also see that there's no biblical warrant for the papacy, nor apostolic succession. Now, what about salvation? Now, well, this is another area where Catholics and Protestants ardently disagree. The key difference lies in the doctrine of justification. The Roman Catholic interpretation of justification differs radically from Orthodox Christianity. They believe it's a process in which God's grace is gradually poured into the sinner's heart. So it's a process. Over time, and in some degree of obedience, one becomes progressively acceptable. According to the Catholic Church, then, during this lifelong process, it's the sinner's responsibility to persevere and increase the grace of God by human effort through various good works. The church also believes that the sinner is initially justified not by faith, but it comes by the act of water baptism. So upon baptism, then, the individual begins his journey toward salvation, hoping they will get to heaven. 
So for the Catholic, then, justification is not a permanent condition. It begins upon baptism and continues if the individual lives a good life. Their belief system says that eternal life can be forfeited whenever one commits a mortal sin, such as hatred or adultery. So even though they don't categorize such efforts as works, human effort is necessary both to begin salvation, and of course by water baptism, and to continue to persevere to eternal life through various prescriptions called sacraments. These are grave and dangerous errors. The Catholic Church's position on justification may be summed up in five biblical arguments that flatly deny and discredit their beliefs. Number one, Scripture presents justification as an instantaneous act, not a process. Justification is imputed immediately upon faith. Nowhere in Scripture does it say that justification is imparted through some sort of process or human effort. Jesus told a parable in Luke 18 of the proud Pharisee and a broken tax collector that clearly defines justification. Now listen to this. In verse 14, Jesus said that the tax collector went back to his house justified, but he didn't say anything about that or such a thing about the proud Pharisee. The tax collector's justification was immediate and complete. There was no process or works involved. He was declared perfectly accepted by God before he performed any fruit of good works. So justification then was given by God solely on the tax collector's repentant faith, faith alone, apart from works. Jesus also said, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but passed out of death into life. John 5, 24. Number two, the believer's justification is purely a forensic or judicial reality. It's a declaration that God makes on behalf of the sinner. It's a declaration made outside of the believer in the court of God, not within the soul of the believer. It's an objective fact, not a subjective phenomenon. It changes the sinner's status, not his nature. One way to understand this is to think of a certificate in heaven where God writes, I have declared so-and-so justified. It's like a judge who brings the final verdict of not guilty. This completely contradicts the Roman Catholic definition that implies a gradual change of a sinner's nature, where he becomes righteous over time in the sight of God. Number three, since justification is a declaration outside of man, it is irrevocable. Roman Catholic doctrine says that one can lose their justification if they commit some mortal sin. But that's not what the Bible says. Since man can't work for salvation or justification, neither can he lose it. At the moment of salvation, the believer is given all the credits of Jesus Christ. God the Father sees the believer as perfectly pardoned from all condemnation based solely on the merits of Christ's atonement. God the Father is completely satisfied with his son's sacrifice. Therefore, since the believer is united to Christ, the believer is completely satisfactory in the eyes of the Father. An amazing truth. Number four, the Bible teaches that justification means that Christ's righteousness is imputed to the believer, not infused. Catholics believe that righteousness is earned, but the scripture tells us that righteous is reckoned or credited to the account of those who believe. Therefore, they stand justified or declared perfectly righteous before God, not because of their own righteousness, but because of Christ's righteousness. According to Romans 2.10, 
that would be impossible because there is none righteous, not even one. So perfect righteousness then is credited to those who believe and have faith. Why is that? Because our righteousness is God's righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21 speaks of this great exchange. This is what it says. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That's an astonishing reality. Jesus took our sin on the cross, and we received his righteousness. So he was treated as if he were a sinner, and we're treated as if we are perfectly righteous. Again, an astonishing truth. Number five, justification is declared by God on the basis of faith alone, apart from works. According to Paul in Ephesians 2, it's by grace that you've been saved through faith, and not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, and then listen to what it says, not as a result of works. In Romans 1.16, Paul stated a truth that completely discredits the Catholic belief system. He said that he was not ashamed of the gospel. Why is that? Because it is alone the power of God for salvation. And listen to Romans 11.6. If it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. Here's a truth that's free and unmerited. that can't be mixed with works. If it is, it's no longer grace. Let's say out of love that I want to bless you with a free gift. Any attempt to pay me back then would cancel the intent of the gift. Is that not correct? There's one thing that scripture is crystal clear about. A man is justified by faith apart from works of the law. We see that in Romans 3.28, Galatians 2.16, Romans 9.31-32, and chapter 10, verses 3. So in contrast then to Orthodox Christianity, Roman Catholicism places an unscriptural emphasis on human works or effort. Catholic doctrine denies Romans 4, 5, where Paul tells us that God justifies the ungodly without first making them godly. Good works, therefore, become the grounds or the cause of justification. As many former Catholics will testify, Roman Catholicism and its liturgy obscure the essential truth that the believer is saved on grace alone, through faith alone, for God's glory alone, and again, apart from works. Adding good works to faith as grounds of justification is precisely what Paul condemned as a different gospel in 2 Corinthians 11.4 and Galatians 1.6. Works nullify the grace of God. For if meritorious righteousness can be earned through the sacraments, then Christ died needlessly. Galatians 2.21. Any system that mingles works with grace then is a different gospel. Works and grace cannot be the same. So I want to say one last thing. Works are essential as evidence of true saving faith, but they are not the means of saving faith. Therefore, the Roman Catholic view of justification sets it apart from historic Orthodox Christianity. It is simply antithetical to the simple gospel of grace. I want to say in closing that I love my Catholic friends, but there are undeniable differences between Catholicism, and Protestantism. Our authority is different. Our means of salvation is different. One is right and one is wrong. They both can't be right. So we all have to answer the question whether we believe what the Bible says or what some outside source says. Well, that concludes our podcast, and I hope it's been helpful for you.
My next podcast, we're going to be examining church government or what some call church polity. Hey, thanks for listening and we'll see you next time. And until then, may you learn Christ, love Christ, and live for the glory of Christ.